1: Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Father, please be with us today to anoint our eyes and ears to come to know the things that are coming and um, the preparations that it takes to, to be on the good side of you on this whole thing. So thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, we're going to continue with uh, Bride rewarded, factious and apostates judged, number thirteen. And uh, this first revelation we called three out of four will fall away. Yes, Claire Pinar gave this one ten twenty six twenty two. She said, "I dreamed I was watching three different people." In bathroom stalls, Uh, uh, as we will see, these three individuals represent the three out of four in the parable of the sower that fell away, and Claire represents a corporate body of uh, the one of the four that bore fruit, thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And uh, Matthew 13 and 8 says, And others fell upon good ground and yielded fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And Jesus' interpretation to this in uh, verse 23, And he that was sown upon the good ground, this is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, who verily bringeth, beareth fruit, and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. Amen. And it is the life of Jesus that he's talking about here. That's what the fruit is. Is Christ in you the hope of glory. It's not other souls as some have told us. So uh, she went on to say, these stalls were adjacent to a communal dining hall where there was a large wooden table and wooden chairs. Um, the bathroom stalls represent each believer's call to get rid of the waste of the old man. Amen. The communal dining hall with large wooden tables represent the uh, body of Christ coming together to feast on the Word and uh, by resting on uh, the works of the cross. Amen. Rion, Claire's husband, said the Bathroom stalls uh, not only represent a place where you are supposed to get rid of all fleshly waste, but they can also represent cubicles of self-works, like uh, working in an office. Well, yeah, Galatians 5 and 4 says, ye are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You are fallen away from grace. Amen. This area looked like a rehab center, Claire said. The rehab center represents, I believe, the rehabilitation process of the washing of the water with the Word, which delivers us from our fleshly idols and sinful addictions. And she said, it appeared to me that these people were in different stages of sanctification or rehab. Yeah, and uh, I think that there are many stages of sanctification after our initial salvation experience, but if we don't endure in our trials until the end, we won't keep our salvation. Matthew 10 and 22 says, He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. So, she went on to say, It looked like the first one, Ella, We'll find out later this is her name, Ella, had overcome the initial addiction or sins and replaced it with something else that happens. The flesh is always looking for something to hang on to so that it can live, right? We know that the Word of God is designed to put to death the old man when we submit to it. And people that just read over it and read over it and read over it and don't do what it says, they don't get sanctification. Well, many times we get rid of one fleshly vice, like we're seeing here, only to find something else to entertain our flesh and allow it to keep on controlling us. Matthew thirteen three and 4 says, Behold, the sower went forth to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. And in Jesus' interpretation to that was Matthew thirteen eighteen and 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then cometh the evil one and snatcheth away that which hath been sown in his heart. This is he that was sown by the wayside. Well, one of the cures for that, of course, is when you hear the word, act on it. Don't put it off because you will forget it tomorrow. Amen. The second one, Daniel, that's what we're going to find out later in the text, uh, was still struggling with his initial addictions or sins, and uh, these are the people with the once saved, always saved, false doctrine, and others like it that let the flesh live, you know, They don't ever receive the power to overcome their initial sins because they only believe that you are perfected when you die and go to heaven. Yeah, sad thing. They've been uh, sown on the wayside, right? So Matthew 13, uh, 5 through 6 and 20 through 21 says this, And others fell upon the rocky places where they had not much earth, And straightway they sprang up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was risen, they were scorched because they had no root and they withered away. The sun coming up and scorching them represents tribulations or trials to uh, make you or to offer you a right decision to have more of God, right? And then Jesus' interpretation is in 20 and 21. And he that was sown upon the rocky places, this is he that hears the word, and straightway with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but endureth for a while. And when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, straightway he stumbleth. Hmm. And the last person, uh, Linda, which we'll see directly, was completely given over to many other sins because she failed to recognize them as sin in the first place. That's why we read the Word. And we constantly read the Word. It's a process of sanctification, right? Matthew 13 and 7 says, And others fell upon the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And then Jesus' interpretation in verse 22 And he that was sown among the thorns, this is he that hears the word and the care of the world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes the word and he becomes unfruitful. Yep, lots of times those toys, you know, draw us away from what we want to do. They please the flesh, but uh, the spirit man doesn't grow and doesn't bear fruit. Well, uh, Claire said the first person's name was Ella. Uh, in the Hebrew, this name means goddess. And in German, it means other or foreign. So these worship a false Jesus and receive false seed that bears fruit uh, that doesn't look like the father. Hosea 5 and 7, They have dealt treacherously against the Lord, for they have borne strange children. Now now shall the new moon devour them with their fields. So they ended up destroyed because um, the, the fruit they were bringing forth didn't look like Jesus. And I can tell you it's very easy to find that out there. Jesus is an overcomer. He will overcome. But um, this other Jesus that they're preaching out there, he won't overcome. He'll let you sit there and stew in your mess while uh, not making any progress towards the kingdom of heaven. And she went on to say Ella was preoccupied with her nails. She used to be an addict, but now she was addicted to doing her nails. And Rion said, uh, keratin is dead cells that make up the fibrous structural protein of our nails. Uh, He said, um, being preoccupied with nails represents dwelling on the works of dead flesh. Hmm, yes. And she went on to say, I had uh, flash visions of her doing her nails everywhere, in the car, with her mom, in the shower, at work. She wasn't trying to cut off her nails and keep them short and neat. She had a preoccupation with false nails and making her nails appear more beautiful than in naturally or humanly possible. So I believe this represents the vain works of the flesh that make people to look good, but outwardly to others, they're a mess, right? And uh, this is the problem when you get distracted with um, things like this and are not really seeking the Lord, When I went to her stall, I showed her my own bare nails and said, Look, it really doesn't look that bad. (laughs) She smiled weakly but could not commit to changing her habits. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1 and 18 says, For the word of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us who are saved it is the power of God. Yeah, we came here to die to our old habits, and any habit that actually pulls us away from seeking first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, right? I walked into the next stall, and the person's name was Daniel. This name means God is my judge. Yeah, well, in uh, John 8, uh, 15 and 16, and 23 and 24, I'll read for you, you judge after the flesh. I judge no man. Yea, if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. And he said unto them, You are from beneath, and I am from above, and you are of this world, and I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Because they're worldly. They're not Christly. They're worldly. And uh, she said uh, he was a recovering drug addict like Ella. Well, I believe that these drug addictions represent the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. It's an addiction to many people, and it distracts them from bearing any fruit. He had showered and was now praying, and he was dressed in a big gray bathrobe. Well, I believe, as we shall see, that he had washed by the water of the Word, but was still clothed in death because of his unbelief. Well, he was uh, saying that he knows God can take it away from him and was pleading with God. And I told him that it had already been taken care of at the cross 2,000 years ago. Uh, It was finished. He likely represents those who lack faith in the complete works of the cross. Amen. The condition of salvation is that you must believe. Okay, Romans 1 and 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, that's the good news that it's already done. Okay. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. You have to believe you have received, Jesus said. All things you pray and ask for, you have to believe you have received. So he asked me if I had ever dealt with addiction and I said yes because I've dealt with sin and that is the same thing. Daniel then put the gown on me, wanting me to join him in this dark, comfortable misery. But I said, oh, no, thank you, and uh, put the gown back on him and walked out of his stall. Well, we know misery loves company. I mean, you feel comfortable if other people around you are in the same mess sometimes because, well, it's okay for them, it's okay for me, right? And uh, we can't allow others to drag us down with their evil hearts of unbelief or their distractions. Rion said, This one was washed clean initially, accepting the cleansing power of God, but then went back to what is comfortable for the flesh and covered the cleanness with darkness. True. This has happened co- commonly. The third stall belonged to a person named Linda. Her name means beautiful serpent. Linda was not in the stall, but was instead walking between the dining table and a cupboard, uh, packing things in a bag. Packing things in a bag represents carrying a lot of baggage uh, from the past. And that could be bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, and guilt, and so on and so forth. All these things that keep you from having faith and going on, right? She used angry and biting tones in response to all my questions about her addiction. First denying, then blaming, then getting angry. Well, we see this in people that have rejection, you know. um, They want to put it on somebody else. And then, of course, it becomes faction because then they blame that other person for everything that they're doing, right? So I asked her, why are you so hurt? Who hurt you? And she replied, his name is Davis. And he really hurt me. Davis means son of David. Ah, okay. Okay. And Rion said she represents faction and anger towards God. And I did what I knew was wrong to please him, and now he's left me. I can't understand it. Well, this represents a misunderstanding of what is pleasing to God because of ignorance of the word. God's presence leaves us when we grieve his his Holy Spirit. I wanted to hug her as I knew she needed much love. She used profanity out of sheer frustration at her own weakness and lack of good character. She was remorseful, but did not know how to be freed from this sin. Well, again, uh, this third one represents those in Matthew 13 and 22 and he that was sown among the thorns this is he that heareth the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes the word and he becomes unfruitful and then I woke up I asked the Lord for a verse by faith at random for this dream and I received John 1 and 1 uh, through 5 or actually 1 and 4 through 5, okay? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I'm speaking of Jesus. And 4, in Him was the life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness apprehended it not. So I asked the Lord for another word by faith at random to help understand this dream. And I received Isaiah 5 and 3 in context 1 through 6. My beloved had a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he digged it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it. And also hewed out winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. One of the main reasons bringing forth wild grapes is a wild seed. Only the true word of God can bring forth the true grapes, right? And verse 3 goes on to say, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could Have been done more to my vineyard. Nothing, because God has done it all, and that's where the good news comes in—that I have not done in it. Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. Hmm. And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof. This is the norm in the scriptures when. He releases the beasts upon uh, his people for because they're not bearing fruit. They're not holding to the word of God and so on and so forth. I will take away the hedge thereof and it shall be eaten up. I will break down the wall thereof and it shall be trodden down and I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor hoed, but there shall come up briars and thorns and I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. In other words, let it die. Why does it cumber the ground, right? So Samuel Fire got this on ten twenty five twenty two. 22 We called it, Very few will climb Mount Zion. I saw Tiana and I as little children running on this hiking trail. We ran casually and gracefully on this trail. It went through this big forest and ended at the top of a mountain. Well, I believe this trail uh, represents the straight and narrow path that leads up to the top of Mount Zion, uh, the New Jerusalem Bride. The bride is, of course, where everybody should be wanting to attain to. And it does take some attaining and some climbing. And while on the track, we ran through forests and crossed rivers by jumping on rocks and so on and so forth. Well, the rocks, I believe, represent our rock of salvation, Jesus, or the words of God, right? On whom we stand to keep us from being swept away by the current of the curse represented by the river of waters. Mm -hmm. There were difficult areas to get through, but uh, some were easier. We were acting very playful and joyful, with no fear or worry, like simple-minded young children. Romans 16 and 19, it says, For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I rejoice therefore over you, But I would have you to be wise unto that which is good, and simple unto that which is evil. Yes. And on this trail, we came across all different types of other people, on all different sections of the trail. We were kind to all of them, but they didn't want to go any further up on the trail, Well, I believe these people are similar to um, different people in Claire's dream above, that they were all on the salvation trail, but at some point in their walk, they find a comfortable spot, and they decide that they don't want to go any further, since this leads to death to self. Amen. Some of the people kept trying to get us to stay with them, but we didn't want to. Wanted to go on, right? So, as in Claire's dream, uh misery and complacency loves company, and these people will try to derail your journey of sanctification and to pull you down with them because they uh, are averse to uh the destruction of the old man. Galatians 5 and 7, it says, You were running well. Who hindered you that you should not obey the truth? Yes, hold fast to the truth. Love the truth. It's the truth that makes you free. It's the truth that causes Jesus to live in you. We just wanted to keep running along the trail, climbing up the mountain. 1 Corinthians 9 and 24 says, Know ye not that they that run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? Even so, run that you may attain. You don't have time to sit on the side of the path and not run. You have a certain amount of time to bear fruit. Okay, there are deadlines. The bride is one of those. The man-child is one of those. Uh, Just uh, the 30, 60, and 100, of course. Well, we came to this open park ahead where I saw a group of people. They were all stopped and chatting with each other, having a picnic. They were acting very comfortable and relaxed, as if they thought that was uh, the end of the trail and that they don't need to go any further. We just kept running on the trail, and in the distance behind us, we heard them telling us to stop running. That's crazy. (laughs) <laughs> that's dangerous. Yes, it's dangerous to the old man, right? Whoa, I wouldn't do that, etc. All kinds of bad comments to dissuade them. Well, this represents apostate Christians who are in dead religion and they don't see a need for perpetual sanctification they think the bride is a fanatic and excessive, like in Song of Solomon 5 and 9, where it says, What is thy beloved more than another beloved? And what makes you think your Jesus is more important than ours? Right? O thou fairest among women, what is thy beloved more than another beloved? Thou that dost so adjure us? Hmm. At one spot, there was another couple, and they told us that we were we are crazy for wanting to keep climbing up the mountain, and that it is too dangerous for us to keep running on the trail. And we just wanted to keep running, and we said to them, come with us. But they didn't want to come. They were comfortable where they were. So, Continuing in sanctification is uncomfortable to the old man because it leads to death. He's a little apprehensive. He loves the, the life of this world, right? So we kept on going and eventually got to the top of the mountain where there was this beautiful waterfall. Well, I'm thinking that the bride has rivers of living water flowing out from her. John 7 and 38, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, you can't, can't uh, leave any scripture behind, right? As the scripture has said, from within him shall flow rivers of living water. While at the top, we went to one side of a cliff and looked down. We saw from far away the last couple that we had met. We yelled out to them, Come up here! But they did not say anything. They only shook their heads to say no. Romans 10 and 21 says, All the day long did I spread out my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. The grief of God, obviously. Then, The scene changed, and Tiana, our our son David, and I were much older than we are in real life, Uh, probably representing that we uh, and our fruit of Christ in us has matured through the sanctification process. All three of us were now muscular, more mature, and were equipped with everything we needed, a backpack, food, water, and tools. We had everything needed to survive in a wilderness. Oh, and that's where they're going too, right? We were still on top of the mountain, but were equipped to walk back down the trail again that we had walked as children. So the bride has gone through her trials and is now strong, mature, prepared, and equipped with the word that she has put down into her heart to minister to others during the tribulation. Sometimes we go back down the trail and try to get somebody to come on up, right? We went again to the cliff and looked down and saw that the last couple were still standing there, not having moved at all. So we set up a zip line and swung down to where they were. The zip line represents the supernatural anointing that the man child will receive to bring the good news of the gospel to those in tribulation. But as we will see, just as in Jesus' day many will not have eyes to recognize the man child or the reformation uh, in the tribulation. We were encouraging them to come up the up to the mountain. and I believe it means of sanctification, and speaking to them with pure love, mercy, and grace to encourage them to take the next step. We gave them some bread. We spoke with Scripture so simply and gently. They took a few more steps, but they didn't want to go any further than that. So we gave them everything that they would accept, but when they didn't want to take any more steps... We kept walking back down the trail to find others. We found more people that we had previously seen on the trail, some still in the same spot where we last saw them, and some had walked a little further up the trail, but others were further back than before. Yeah. Mark 4, 24 and 25 says, Take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured unto you, and more shall be given unto you. For he that hath to him shall be given, and he that hath not, and I'm thinking this is talking about fruit, uh, from him shall be taken away even that which he hath. As you know, some people start out in, in a flame of fire, and then they fizzle, and then they sit on a pew and feel justified, not bearing fruit and sometimes worse off than they were when they started. So we gave one of the groups of people, we saw some food and water and spoke about the Lord with them and uh, led them across a river until they didn't want to walk any further. Some other people followed us for a while and others only moved a little bit further and some didn't want to move at all. After we spoke to everyone that we found, uh, we went back up the mountain to the top. Well, the old saying is so true, you, can't lead, you, you can not lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And Psalm 32 and 9 says, Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which hath no understanding, whose trappings must be bit and bridle to hold them in, else they will not come near unto thee. Yes, we know how that is. Okay, and Claire had this, Apostates are climbing the wrong mountain. 10, 26, 22. I had a quick vision of a couple named Eddie and Andy. Eddie means a wealthy friend. He likely represents those who are strong in the world. Uh, James 4 and 4 says, Ye adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore would be a friend of the world maketh himself an enemy of God. Yeah, and I might add uh, Matthew 19 and 23, And Jesus said unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, It's hard for a rich man to to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, And so, uh, Andy means a man-like and represents the Jezebel daughters of the harlot, as we will see. They were climbing a very rocky, desolate mountain. It had broken branches, (laughs) dead tree stumps, in many rocky and craggy places, nothing green grew on this mountain. This could represent the wilderness tribulation that many apostate Christians will have to go through. And we can see their, their leftovers there, craggy places, uh, stumps, branches that were broken off, you know, so on and so forth. And Rion said this particular mountain represents works of the flesh which separate us from Christ as in Galatians 5 and 4. Yep, and I might add uh, John 15, uh, 1 and 2, and maybe 5 and 6. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh it away. And 5, I am the true vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same beareth much fruit of Christ, of course. For apart from me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So primarily we abide in him by faith that we were crucified with Christ and that he now lives in us. That's the primary step of this, right? Abiding in him. And this faith entitles us to power from God to actually bear the fruit. So they were dressed in what looked like the exact same wedding attire Rian and I wore for our wedding, except Andy's dress was not pure. It wasn't pure white, as mine had been, but an off-white color. Well, Claire represents the bride because her name means brilliant, and the bride's garments are bright and pure, as is spoken of in Revelation 19 and 8. And it was given unto her that she should array herself in fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints." And this off-white wedding dress represents those that have yet to attain to the leucos garment, which is a white garment in Revelation 19 and 14. And both of these groups have a lesser garment than the bride. Amen. So sometimes those walking in the flesh, she said, look more pious than they really are. 1 Samuel 16 and 7 says, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, but man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Amen. She was holding a small bouquet. Uh, She said this represents branches being cut off. It makes a nice bouquet initially, but... We want to be attached to the vine. Otherwise, we will wither and die. John 15 and 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. They looked disheveled uh, and dirty from climbing. Ed was slightly further along but he was not waiting for his bride and he had a scowl on his face. Andy looked very fearful of falling and they both looked laser-focused on not falling and Andy's wedding dress was torn at the bottom. I looked down at her feet and saw that she had the finest black fancy shoes on with little diamond gems. The soles were red, though, And I heard the words, Trampling the blood of the saints. Hmm. So Ed represents those who are distracted with worldly riches, and Andy represents the manly Jezebel spirit, who is a daughter of the harlot. And these types are leavened to the body, and they are climbing the wrong mountain. It produces no fruit. It's a bare, fruitless mountain, right? Revelation 17 and 5. And upon her forehead a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of the harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with a great wonder. So I asked the Lord for a word by faith at random for this dream and received John five thirty seven, In context, 37 through 40. And the Father that sent me, he hath borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. And you have not his word abiding in you, for whom he sent, him you believe not. You search the Scriptures, because you think that in them you have eternal life, and these are they which bear witness of me, and you will not come to me that you may have life. Amen. Well, love the Word, love the Lord, draw near to Him, put the Word in your heart, and repent and believe. Amen. So, here's another one Claire gave on eleven two, twenty uh, two. 22. Moving the new house with the Davids. Moving to the new house with the Davids. I had two dreams that followed one another and seemed to be connected. Dream number one, I dreamed that I was asleep and dreaming that David Eels was packing up his house and moving. But my family was not yet there, and I was distraught as I needed to be where he was. In the dream, I woke up and scheduled a call with him, and we chatted, and David was very excited, and then I was transported through Zoom to David's house. Again, I think this is a spiritual house, not a physical house, but he told me that a factious man had sold the house that UBM was in, and they needed to be out By Wednesday morning, well, you know, Judas uh, (laughs) was trafficking uh, Jesus, right? So uh, the, the factious man represents the house of faction, and this means that their time of oppressing and slandering us is about up, and their judgment comes. That's what God does. First, he uses other people to sanctify you, and then he judges them. So, this was a sly, underhanded move, it seems, from David's reaction of excitement and quick movements in the dream initially. It's uh, good for us to be out of the faction's influence, and we are excited that our testing is about over. Praise the Lord. And we can move on. Amen. See, the the whole point is to be crucified so that you can be greatly used of the Lord, right? And she went on, uh, but finding a new home was no challenge for David and his friends. I received by faith at random, Zechariah 14, 14, uh, in context 10 through 14. And it shall come to pass in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem. That's the bride. And then in verse 11, uh, and men shall dwell therein, and there shall be no more curse, but Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And then in 13, uh, and it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them. And they shall lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbor, and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor. So we know that God will turn our affectious enemies, when they're through their crucifixion, uh, against each other, as with Gideon and with Jehoshaphat. And they will no more harass us as in the dream. And verse 14 says, And Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the nations round about shall be gathered together, gold and silver and apparel in great abundance. So we will plunder the the world and the effections in the church uh, and state, and we'll have our new houses. Amen. God is a blessing. So, in the dream, it was uh, Monday afternoon, and uh, I will say that from Monday to Wednesday is a very quick time, right? We will be out by Wednesday, quote-unquote. So, David had many uh, sweet people living with him. A few that I remember were an old lady with a Greek name that I cannot remember, as well as Michael. And Eve and David uh, here, I believe, represents the David man-child reformers whom the bride, represented by Eve, and those who are like God, represented by Michael, dwell with. Okay. Eve, as a type of the bride, lived in a separate loft, and she had some people she was helping to move, although they were moving to a different place. These people were still in the world, but she was acting in faith and being patient with them, and it seemed that they were maturing right before my eyes. Their place would be somewhere between the old house and the new house. I believe that this is talking about, of course, when the bride is finished, it is finished. And um, there will be people coming up behind and coming into the position, into the uh, fruit, I should say, but not necessarily in the position of the bride. Uh, So they will not yet be escaping tribulations because that's the thing about the bride. She's not flying away, but she does escape the tribulations. Okay. It was amazing to watch how efficiently these people got rid of stuff. We'll call it baggage, right? And how the house that they were in cleared out supernaturally. It wasn't cluttered to begin with, but by the time I walked to Eve's portion of the house and back to where David was, everything had been cleared or taken away. Uh, Representing that God will do a quick work, right? The Greek lady, I believe... uh, She's saying, especially, seemed very helpful and cheerful. Uh, I think she represents the good news that David preaches and teaches since it was written in the Greek. Yes, I think so. she's right. She went on to say, David was saying that the new house was smaller but nicer and all white. Well, this new spiritual house has been delivered from the factious apostates, and that means some people are gone, and the unity and the peace is greater. And she said, the new home could not have as many people in the house as the old house did, but these good people could rent or purchase homes very close to David. Well, these new personal homes um are talking about their lives, you know are built together in unity as in Ephesians 2 and 21 in whom each several building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord. that's what this represents. And all those homes were white too. He was telling me how it had worked out perfectly. It was a three-hour drive to the new home, and David said the house was perfectly white. Well, notice, we arrive at the third hour. Uh, Mark 15 and 25 says, and it was the third hour, and they crucified him. Third hour represents crucifixion. And Acts 2 and 15, For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. So they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The third hour represents being filled with the Holy Spirit, even though these people were calling them drunken. Okay. I had a vision of this house then, and it was picture perfect. Not flashy, but more like a large cottage. It was perfect. It seemed closer than a three-hour trip to me. So it was very close. And I told uh, David, I am relying on God solely for us to come over there. And then he said, you can buy the house next to me. And I said, David, I have no money. Even if I did, God would have to multiply everything so I could live there. And David laughed and said, And he will. I laughed, too, in agreement. Well, amen. Father will be our provider. Amen. So I asked the Lord for a verse by faith at random. For this portion of the dream and my faith at random, I received 2 Timothy 1 and 13. Hold the pattern of sound words which thou hast heard from me. In faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Hold the pattern of the sound words. Remember, this is how your DNA is resurrected, right? Confess your needs are received. Hold fast the confession of your hope, that it waver not, for he is faithful that promised. So hold to those words. Speak those words. Confess those words. Amen. So this next one was also from Claire, and we must fix our vehicles first. So before they could go, they had to fix their vehicles. Amen. Another uh, point of the testing, right? And she got this on 11 This is the second dream that was connected to the first. I woke up out of the previous dream and immediately dreamed I was with Rian in our house, although this house looked different to the current one that we lived in. We needed to get the van's axle fixed, and we took it in to mechanics that were a three-hour drive away. So the same third hour of crucifixion and filling with the Spirit will fix the van, right? Right. (laughs) And before we left for the mechanic, I had uh, lamb shanks cooking in my slow cooker. Well, eating the legs of the lamb represents partaking of the walk of the Passover lamb, Jesus. And this was uh, the last meal before the tribulation wilderness. They went from there to the wilderness. So she went on to say this was going to be the last meal in our old home with our children. And all the boxes were packed to go. So we drove to the mechanic's shop. And when we got there, they said, nah, mate, it's, it's all good. Uh, she'll be right. And uh, she says, uh, this is Aussie slang for there's no problem here. In other words, this is okay. This vehicle's okay. And as we will see, the mechanics represent preachers who lower the bar so that everybody is okay. Right? Nobody wants to grow. right? Nobody's motivated with their crazy doctrines, too. So on the way in the car to the mechanic, Rion said to me, I left the pot on. Don't tell my sister. I was so upset not because of fear, but because he thought it was funny. And I said that we needed to get home as it could cause a fire, as the pot could uh, not be on for so long. Well, she said, this is flawed thinking in my dream because my slow cooker can be on for longer than six hours and everything would be okay. And this is, of course, um, to eat the lamb's legs, right? So the lamb can be on the fire for as long as it takes for us to come to crucifixion and resurrection, right? I only had his mother on my phone to call, but she was at a beach holiday and could not go to help. That is, go and check on the fire, right? So the apostate mother is resting in the world and will be no help to anyone to arrive at crucifixion and anointing. And when we got home, the lamb shanks were all slushy, but I was happy. Our home and kids were safe. So we must be crucified until our legs are slushy and Christ's walk in us is strong, right? And then, in the dream, I went to bed, and during the night, Rion tossed and turned and got up. I eventually woke up and went to where he was, and he had been wringing his eyes uh, and was wearing his orange mine clothing, uh, representing a warning. He was so frazzled about the van. It seemed he had received a revelation about the van not being right while sleeping. He said, I could roll this car on the way to the airport and kill all of us. It is so unstable. And, of course, the old life is, you know, unstable. He seemed gravely concerned about doing anything that could harm us. Well, our mode of operation, represented by the van, must be stable so that we can make it to the airport, representing mounting up to heavenly places in Christ. He was really upset with the Australian mechanics and that they'd lied to him because the van was not right at all. However, the fault was truly with the van, and he knew that. And I said to him soothingly, we can drive it. We can drive in it until we get to the airport. Of course, it won't be necessary when you rise into heavenly places. You can't take your car with you, right? But let's trade it in or scrap it and we don't care what we drive in afterwards. Amen. So we got the children ready and prayed over the car that it would be safe until we got to the airport, and then I woke up. Hmm. So then we got this revelation on 10-30-22. It was given to Gabby Dibble. A house fitly framed together. Kind of fits with the last one, right? Right. I had this dream where there was a giant honeycomb in the sky. It was at my parents' home uh, with a sister, Exona, and other disciples. Exona. I walked outside to look at the sky knowing something was there. And as I looked, I saw an open honeycomb. The honeycomb then zoomed in, and I could see there were people standing in each cell in the different sections of the honeycomb, right? And as we know, a honeycomb could represent many houses joined together into one as a holy temple in the Lord, as Ephesians speaks of. Ephesians uh, 2, 20 and 22, through 22 being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom each several building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God in the Spirit, So we just had a dream uh, from Claire that we were moving to small houses in a tight group all next to one another. and So this fits perfectly with that. You know, there was one person per cell and there was motion. They continued to move to different cells. uh, Maybe growing up, you know. And when I first saw the honeycomb, about 60% of the honeycomb was filled. Then there were less people, representing the faction being removed from the bride, right? Then more people were added, representing the revival, bringing those who received the crowns that the faction lost. Amen. And soon, within a few moments, it was completely filled. I then saw a man and a woman underneath the honeycomb holding hands with someone inside to stay connected. Hmm. So they were outside the honeycomb, but they had a connection to some inside. I believe that the faction will have someone inside as a spy and it could be someone spying on our emails or whatever phone calls we we've had that the factious leader loves to do that. That's a spy. They were preventing more, they were preventing more people from coming in, kicking them down, and yet they had a smile plastered on their face. And yeah, they were acting like they were in love, kicking people from the higher place, right? Making sure they didn't grow up. Well, Romans 16 and 17 says, And now I beseech you, brethren, mark them that are causing the divisions and occasions of stumbling, contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and turn away from them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Christ, but their own belly. And by their smooth and fair speech they beguile, the hearts of the innocent. Yes, they act nice and kind and so on and so forth. Say they love you and all that, but they're liars. And as I was seeing this in my dream, I was uh, wondering if this represented the true body of Christ or something else. Well, those in the honeycomb are the true body of Christ because he lives in them. But the traitors who uh, leave are Judases and their sons of perdition, betraying the true body of Christ. And they have tried to turn many away from the gospel, kicking them down. My vision then flashes to something else. I see men going to war in water with Jesus symbols all around them. I don't remember what they looked like, whether it was crosses or something else. I believe, from what we continue to see here, that imposters are playing Christianity. And this was uh, showing two types of people. They looked like tribes, as the the men fighting had old weapons such as sticks or something related, and were only wearing a loincloth. In other words, their nakedness was seen, which represents their sins. And many of the men in charge were visibly older, gray hair, a bit of a belly, etc. Well, let me say, the leftists have already done false flags impersonating Christians in a negative light for the leftist news media, like on the January 6th thing. And the same thing is happening uh, in the faction in the church. I'm now back in the House, and I'm standing in front of a TV with others. The government and civilians were going downhill, which they are. I'm not political anymore, but on the news it showed the effects of having the Democrats rule. Yes, it does. Only they were in charge at this point several, maybe three or four, negative effects were being shown on the news. Well, it's true. uh, The D-class is coming out more and more on the mainstream media. And D-class is coming out in uh, all other places, too. So the D-class is beginning to come out on all the destruction that the Democrats have brought to our country and the world And at this point, they appear to be in charge, but it is not so. And uh, the war goes on. And I think we may be getting closer to martial law, Hmm? so they can finish cleaning up the mess. Uh, One example I remember is the news reporter was standing with a mic in his hand, dumbfounded because there was a fire going on for several days, three or four that they couldn't put out. Well, I believe the fire represents chaos, anarchy, destruction, and they're going to bring uh, this when they hear the Supreme Court decision to annul the 2020 vote, uh, and it's released. And I believe they will come against the Christians too, because uh, these are Satanists, and their mortal enemy, of course, is Christians. And they don't want to let on that, but ultimately they will. I then switched to a scene where I was heading to a disciple school with a ministry. And I went to my room and Exona, my sister in Christ, came for the long ride. Exona means joy and contentment. She went to disciple school with joy and contentment. It took hours to get to this school, and it was a ride with many things that were scary along the ride, as it seemed dangerous, but we kept going. Well, this could be a timing, I think. Uh, The riots and martial law is definitely coming. Uh, She said, I remember my mom and sister were in the car, neither of which were born again. Gabby said and Gabby went on to say I remember seeing my sister in the passenger seat up front with my white pair of sneakers on that were too tight for her so what we're seeing here is that Gabby's walk of purity is too restrictive uh, I would say for her because of uh, too much of her flesh involved. So it makes them tight, right? And she must be born from above first, obviously. Gabby went on to say, I wasn't the one driving and neither was Exona. It must have been my mom. And when we arrived at the discipleship house... I was trying to convince Exona to stay because it seemed to be what the Lord was leading. And I reminded her of desires that she had and shared with me about life. Amen. Okay, we're going to jump from that to this vision given to Robert Holmes. Robert I. Holmes. We called it Joel's Army and Gideon's Army. Okay. In late October 1996, I had a startling vision. Well, remember this vision was in 1996 and things have progressed since that time. Okay. I was looking down from a high place and I saw a mighty army. It was marching in a long line like a great column snaking through the jungle. It looked for all the world like a serpent. At the head was a banner which read, Joel's Army. Behind them they left a swath of destruction, a road of sorts cut through the jungle. I was made aware that this army was now marching or had already mobilized. Well, let me say that Joel's army was the Assyrian army in the text literally, Uh, that conquered the apostate northern ten tribes of Israel and the apostate Judah, which they were in the process of doing with their vaccine plagues and others. And these tribes represent apostate Christianity, both non-spirit-filled and spirit-filled, who have no faith in God to heal or to deliver from their curses because they hadn't read the Word of God and believed it. And when they are finished with them, they will attempt to attack Jerusalem, the bride. And God will destroy them at this point. Because the bride is not under the curse that the northern ten tribes and apostate Judah are. Okay. I also saw off to one side, hidden in dense undergrowth, a battalion. This group stood quietly, waiting in the jungle. They were assembled in a square, and they were awaiting instructions. At the head of this smaller group was a banner which read, Gideon's Army. Well, Gideon represents the man-child head of the bride who bring the beast down. And then I looked, and I saw a single platoon off to the side of the battalion. It stood Divided. I looked carefully at this group, feeling at first that it represented the local body of believers that I belonged to at the time. They were standing in mud, in two ranks, facing each other. The Spirit expressly said, Many have passed through their ranks, and I began to realize that they were, or are, the prophets. These troops were stuck in the mud and had not moved on for some time. Yes, some people's prophetic view is still ancient. The prophetic voices are scrambled and the apostate uh, are, are false prophetic. The true prophetic, spirit-filled, are in the minority. So, continuing. Joel's army has been promoted widely as being a good army, an army of the church. Many songs sung in Pentecostal and mainline evangelical churches even quote the warrior scriptures as relating to the church. However, I do not hold to that understanding, and I don't either. So, to me, Joel's army is one of terrible locusts, a great and powerful army. And before them is like Eden, and after them is desolate, Joel 2, 2 and 3. This is similar to the picture I had. Joel says that they are a powerful army drawn up for battle, and before them the nations are in anguish, in 5 and 6. And why are the nations terrified of this army? Because they are an instrument of judgment and that is against the apostate people of God. It's God's always used a beast. This, in particular, in Joel 2, was the Assyrian beast. And uh, God uses beasts against his people. It's his army to come against his apostate people. So note that the Scripture does not say God's enemies are in anguish before them, nor does it imply that the devil is afraid of them. It is the nations who are afraid. This army is made up of the cutting locust, the swarming locust, the hopping locust, and the destroying locust, Joel 1 and 4. And this is not a picture of the bride of Christ. No, it's not. Or even the church of Christ. Evidently, the army first destroys or brings judgment against God's own people Because later in the book of Joel, God consoles his people, saying, I will repay you for the years the swarming locust has eaten, and the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, that great army I sent against you. Joel 2.25 This is clearly God's instrument of judgment against both his church and the nations. Not a great or good army in the church. The passages relating to Joel's army confuse some because it is said that the Lord is at the head of his army. He is in control of them, but that no more makes them the church than it made Babylon or Assyria the church. Jeremiah depicts Babylon as God's own instrument, his servant, Jeremiah 25 and 9 just as Isaiah depicts Assyria as being a weapon in God's hand, Isaiah 7 and 20. God used them as he uses the army depicted by Joel to berate and scold an unrepentant Israel. In the same way, Joel's army is marching in the end times to scold and rebuke and to consume and to devour the unregenerate church. Amen. This is the Assyrian army who first conquered all of Israel and Judah, and in Joel 2 was approaching Jerusalem, whom John was told is the bride. And as they called on the Lord, he smote 185,000 of their best warriors, and the rest fled. And today this beast is conquering the apostate people of God but will be destroyed before Zion, the bride, as the man-child, groom, and bride are revealed for the first time in the text. They come out of the closet. They are revealed at that time, and that brings a destruction to uh, the beast entity, which is coming against the bride. The second army I saw, however, portrays an altogether different picture. Here is an army fully prepared, awaiting instruction. It is not yet mobile. The battalion in military terms is about 10,000 men, was labeled Gideon's Army, and it represents the refined, the chosen, the remnant church. This second army is not yet marching. They are stable, focused, balanced, and waiting instructions. They have not yet been given their marching orders well let me say that was in 1996 Gideon's army has been conquering the enemy and it is through uh, spiritual warfare and they are bringing down the deep state faction and the church faction by spiritual warfare so that's again this is an update to this so Gideon and his men were exhorted, Go in this might of yours and deliver Israel, <clears throat> and I will be with you, and you shall strike down the Midianites. That's in Judges uh, six, fourteen, fifteen. 15. And uh, note, there is an explicit command to strike down the enemies of Israel, or for the church, the devil and his powers, not the church. It is the man, child, and bride bodies, um, I might add, that, that strike down the Assyrian Empire, representing the beast of our day. And many apostates believe it is a man who is bringing down the beast's empire. But Jesus said, what you bind on earth is bound in heaven, and I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. So who is doing this? The ones that have all the power— The ones that have the authority to bind uh, the enemy? Yes, that's who's doing it. It's a war between two beasts, but the church is the one deciding that Babylon has to go down. And uh, the authority of the Lord in the church is bringing them down. And as I read through the account of Gideon in Judges 6-8, through several things strike me about them. In this army, is a picture of the remnant. Then it will help to see that they had what they did. Firstly, they were twice refined. At first, a great number of men gathered to fight, 32,000 in all. During the first purging, the Lord removed those who had a fear of man, and this took their number down to 10,000. And in my vision I saw the battalion, 10,000 men, labeled as Gideon's army. And this seems to indicate that the assembling battalion has already been refined uh, of the fear of man. And the second purging Gideon's army underwent was to remove those who trusted in their own strength. And this took their number down to 300 which is uh, the present Gideon's army, the one of my vision. Well, amen. Many expect uh, this second purging next. uh, This purging and refining is finished, and they are in the process of spiritual warfare to bring down this beast who is attempting to destroy the bride. The next thing we notice, uh, Robert said, uh, about Gideon's army, and uh, from from now on, these things are to come to the Gideon army gathered together. Uh, he said it is uh, that they are were fewer in number than would be expected. Their number was so few in fact that the move of God could not be blamed on them. In other words, three hundred couldn't come against an army that was without number, you know. So only God could get the credit, right? The glory could only go to God, and Israel uh, would not be able to boast about the strength of her right arm. And this fits well with my vision, as the assembled crowd represented only one battalion, not a whole army. And the mighty triumphs and victories destined for this group can only be laid at the feet of Jesus. He's the only one who can take the credit for this. So in their first battle, Gideon moved only according to God's command, and it was at God's initiative, at his request, and by his plan only. It was interesting that as an army, they carried no swords. How could they possibly win the battle without weapons? Well, that's exactly what we do today, right? We don't have any physical weapons. And we shouldn't take them, or we will die with them, according to the word of the Lord. Their battle cry was, a sword for the Lord and Gideon, 7 and 20. And the enemy feared the sword of Gideon, 7 and 13. Yet, in actual fact, their hands were full. They went into the battle with a shofar in one hand, and, a, and fire in a jar in the other. Amen. The shofar symbolizes the prophetic clarion of the watchman used to sound the alarm and awaken the city. Well, let me say, the shofar represents turning breath or spirit, which is the same word in Hebrew, into what can be heard. It represents the prophetic commands against the enemy. And not warning the city. They did not even want the city to help in this. They never tried to get the city to help in this. That this small group of people was going to be given the victory by the Lord. Okay. And they represent Gideon, the man-child, and the bride underneath the man-child. Right. The fire in jars may well speak of this very great treasure we have within us. This precious truth about Christ, which shall demonstrate His very great power. We have this treasure in clay jars, or earthen vessels, right? So that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. 2 Corinthians 4 and 7. And likewise, the secret to our warfare is also that the weapons of our battle are not merely carnal. They are divine to tear down strongholds, 2 Corinthians 10 and 4. The earthen vessels represent the carnal man which has to be broken so that the fire of the Spirit can go forth through the spiritual man who has been given authority over the enemies, and he is speaking it. As I pointed out, that's what this, uh, this voice of the Spirit is doing. It is destroying the enemy. So, uh, then he goes on to the sons of Ephraim. After winning an amazing victory in this first battle, Gideon's army um, pressed the defeated enemy far into the northern region. They passed through into the land of Ephraim towards Penuel. Uh, The inhabitants of this region, the sons of Ephraim, were accomplished soldiers. And over the years they had managed successive enlargements of their territory and were powerful enough by Isaiah's time for him to even call them the northern kingdom. That's Isaiah seven twenty-eight and 29. And they had defeated the princes of Medean, Oreb, Zeb. Uh, that's Judges 8 and 3, and were furious that Gideon had left them out of the battle. Well, Gideon must have considered taking such fine fighting men along to the route, along to route, rout the enemy. Excuse me. Yet we read that he proceeded on without them, in verse four. And whilst Gideon's acknowledged their superior strength in battle, Judges uh, eight and two, he in fact uses this as a, a way of. De- diplomacy, declining their implied offer of help. He proceeds without the prestigious fighters. It would have been tempting to take them along in this battle. There were and are many good reasons to bring along people who seem to have a fruitful ministry. The name Ephraim means fruitful place in Hebrew, And it was said to represent the fullness of nations, by the way. And they they may have prestige. They may have power. They may be experienced in battle and in spiritual warfare. They may have ruled in the previous moves of God. Yet we, like Gideon, should deny their aid. Gideon did not choose their help at all. It was God who whittled down his forces to that tiny little group. And it's God who has done that today, Gideon being the man-child and the rest being the bride. They do indeed have a special place in God's heart and plan, but not in his present plan for the army of Gideon. They are to rout the enemy with the help of the Lord alone. Amen. They needed to be small because God's power is made perfect through weakness, right? So, in conclusion, my vision, lastly, uh, is a warning that we must clean up and move on. We must not pretend we are clean when, in fact, we are dirty. The call of the hour for those who call themselves prophetic is holiness unto the Lord. Holy so that we may prepare and join the gathering, training, waiting army of Gideon in battle. The battle Here, I would say, represents uh, spiritual warfare. Uh, If it was only physical warfare, Ephraim would have been valuable. But God's power is made perfect through our weakness. So they didn't need these powerful men. They just needed that voice, that uh, trumpet, that uh, bringing the word to the people. So... This reminds me of Eve's revelation about Gideon's 300. Now, UBM is at the, the Red Sea now. That's the, what we named it. And Eve Brass got this on 9-222. I dreamed that all of local and larger UBM had obeyed Father's commands for the eight-day fast and the angels' command for the last century book of Acts church were gathered at the edge of the Red Sea. Those who had forsaken all the ways of Egypt and had completely come out into the wilderness were gathered there. No one had anything with with them except for their clothes. Everyone was dressed like Israelites of old in clothing that was in different shades of blue. Well, the shades of blue, I believe, represent uh, dressed up in heavenly works. Uh, I only saw men in the dream because my view of the people didn't extend beyond those that were closest to the rock that David and I were standing on. I didn't see women or children in the dream. So the David, man, child reformers, and Eve, representing the bride, are typed here, okay? Their numbers weren't in the thousands, but only a few hundred. And I asked the Lord what the few hundred, or three hundred, that were next to the Red Sea represented, and I heard, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. I believe they represent those who aren't fearful to engage in the battle and also those that the Lord has tried by the water, representing the word. Yep, each man is tested by the word as to their obedience. Uh, God wants an obedient army, much like uh, the military, makes sure that their men are totally obedient before going into warfare. These are the overcomers who have obeyed the Lord and not their flesh, Judges 7, 2 through 14. Yep, and uh, this could be the men of leadership under the man-child Davids who are prepared for the wilderness tribulation before the church arrives. Gideon was a type of the man-child and his 300 tested men who blew the shofars and broke the pitchers, were a type of the bride, the disciples, or apostles, uh, also involving the apostles. And these went out to conquer the enemies for God's people. And the sword of the Lord and of Gideon was a powerful and exciting announcement of the beginning of the battle to divide and scatter the demonic enemies of UBM and the David ministries. And this announcement signaled the breaking of the clay pitcher, representing the flesh, so that the torch, as in the light of God's life and His Word, could shine out. This made it possible for uh, the shofar, symbolizing the breath, which in Hebrew is the same word for spirit, to be audible in the physical realm. So we speak these things. We bind and we loose with our speech these things. And most of the church does not know that. They don't think they have any authority. They're just waiting for the rapture, you know. So this is the true prophetic word of God which is spoken to bring every victory. And this is the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, in order to scatter the demonic enemy. The waters of the Red Sea were calm at the moment, and it was dark out, but I could see everything by the bright light of the moon. And I was standing on top of a large rock that was near the water's edge, observing the whole scene. And I was dressed in some type of sheer material that was flowing, and full of wind, although everything else around was still. Maybe the breath of the Spirit or the anointing of the Spirit upon that group, right? The bride. And I saw David representing the David Manchild Reformers on the same rock further down, closer to the people. He was speaking with some of the men who were closest to the rock's edge. David was dressed in modern blue jeans and in light blue-colored, short-sleeved polo shirt, so he didn't have a suit on, right? Egypt was behind us at our backs. There was no danger from enemies or fear that they were going to trap us there in the dream. Everyone was at peace and waiting on the Lord. Well, I suppose that they were waiting for the rest of the church to show up so that we could all cross the Red Sea together and to see their enemies decimated in time for the tribulation. Then the voice of God spoke out of heaven to David and all the people from the direction that was between us and Egypt. And he said, These are my people who have obeyed all my commands, And have left Egypt behind to follow me into the wilderness. I will provide for your every need from now on. Amen. And we know that's true. I have scattered and defeated your enemies, and they are no longer any threat to you. Amen. We believe it. This is true of the first fruits, man, child, and bride, but not yet true of the remaining church, right? Do not look back towards Egypt. Do not heed the voice of man or pay attention to their leavened speech, because they all lie, both sides lie, actually. Uh, Do not look to their ways or consider their lies and their deceptions, You will hearken unto my voice alone and be led by my spirit alone. And then I woke up. Father continued to speak to me after I woke up. No other information or direction of man pertains to you. My ways are above their ways and my sons hear and consider my voice alone. Continue to put away the devices of Egypt that bring distraction and separation from me and my spirit. Cast down and reject all the voices of vanity, deception, and the reasonings of men that cause you to err in your minds and dull your hearing and your understanding. What I am doing with my bride... And for my people has nothing to do with the vain plans or ways of men. Only my purposes will succeed. Only my plans will stand. I will cause you to walk above this earth in my heavenly places. You are not on their timeline. Nor are you subject to the things of this world or the wicked plans of men who don't consider me or call upon me. I will be your all in all, your only source and provision in my wilderness. For the wilderness and everything in it belongs to me and not to wicked men. Refrain from looking backward and going backward only to meet with the same destruction as Lot's wife. For you are in the days of Lot, Destruction is coming quickly to Sodom and Gomorrah. This is it. Only those who completely divorce themselves from Egypt and climb the mountain to remain continually in my presence will be hidden. The rest will fall in this wilderness tribulation due to the wavering of their faith, a lack of obedience and succumbing to their enemies. You will no longer be as the Israelites of old who refused to climb the mountain with Moses and to come into the presence and to hear my words for fear of death. Everyone will climb the mountain and enter into my presence and hear my voice and my spirit. Ask of me all things that pertain to your lives and godliness, and I will give it to you in abundance. I am for you, and I wish that none of you perish. Hold fast to my promises, and don't be slack to perform all that I have commanded you through my messengers. My peace will rest upon you, and great success will be yours. In your obedience, as you continue to seek my face and draw close to me. Amen. And uh, let's see, we have uh, Claire Pinar here, ten, fifteen, twenty-two. 22. Be careful what water you're swimming in. I dreamed I was with my parents and my little family on vacation. This represents resting in, from our works, she says. My parents did not like this vacation, and this shows that the apostates don't know how to rest in the promises of the gospel. Yes, it makes them very uncomfortable. We wanted to to swim and be in the water the entire time. They made continuous excuses and rejected us at every turn about everything we suggested during this vocation during the rest they wanted to disturb the rest that's what they're good at right the apostates are a different spirit than true believers and they reject the good news of the gospel and the continual sabbath rest because they believe they are justified by their works however We were undeterred. My son especially was in the water like a fish the entire time. And Rion said, The ones that have come out of the apostate mother church only want to rest in the water of the Word while the apostate mother church makes excuses to not get into the Word or the water, right? We walked along a beach and we saw a kelp forest peeking out from the surface of the ocean. My son told me, Mommy, there will be many predators in the water there. We won't go in there. We stick to clear water. Amen. So we must exercise discernment, she says. That's right. Well, let me say that there are many Predators in the murky waters, which represent a mixture of the word which the predators use, and for that reason, it's dangerous. the the This word uh, is not the word, and therefore cannot bring us to our destined uh, place to be, on top of the mountain, so to speak. I agreed. But the strange thing was that now my folks wanted to swim. They did everything to manipulate, control, and coerce us into that murky ocean water with the kelp. Well, the murky waters invariably allow the flesh to live. It is trash doctrine. We did not go into the murky water even after they dispersed. Played anger towards us for not going. Yes, they want you to accept they're once saved, always saved, and all these other goofy doctrines that they got that doesn't bear fruit and is definitely murky water and is dangerous because it destroys all motivation to be holy. And Rion said they only know the polluted water with false doctrine, and that's where the enemy hides. True. My son Daniel took my hand and led me back to the fresh, clear water of a large pool. And then I woke up. And Rion said, Follow the (laughs) man-child who represents Jesus here, and he will lead you to still, clear waters. I believe that God's people must must partake of the true and living Word. Not take somebody else's um, interpretation of that Word, but go to the Word. Get the Word in your heart and receive discernment so that you won't get caught up with those in the murky waters where the predators are, are waiting We've seen the predators, they seek to devour God's people. We've seen them, we've seen the factious predators too, they seek to devour God's people. And those who don't hold to the true clear water of the word will get taken out by them. We have commands warning us against them. They were evidently very clearly around in the time when the Bible was written. And all the way back through the Scriptures, these people, these predators, were waiting for God's people. And uh, these predators led God's people, quote-unquote, to come against the prophets and then Jesus and then the apostles. They led the charge against the true people of God. And they didn't know what the clear word was all about, or what it was. And we know that it is a process of putting together all of the Scripture on any subject. And that this is the only way you can come to a a clear understanding of the clear water, the true water of God. Anybody can pick out pieces and parts of the word and make a doctrine and camp out around it, especially when the people are listening to the preachers who went to the Bible school where that's only thing they taught. And so, but if the people will go and read their Bible, they will have many questions with the doctrines of these apostates. And don't ignore those questions because that's what they want you to do. They want you to ignore that and continue on until that religious spirit takes you over and you're not able to hear or to see. I try to tell people many times who come to the Lord, I tell them, get into the Word and get the Word in your heart and find out what the true church, which means the called out ones, they're called out from apostasy, right? Uh, find out what the true church looks like before you go settle in one and sit there and listen to this stuff which is going to impart to you a religious spirit, something you have to defend at all costs. And therefore, you're being sidetracked from being able to receive the pure water of the truth. Get the word in your heart. If you are going to, to a church, and you think it is the ultimate. Get the word in your heart. Uh, These sidetracks are to keep you from bearing the fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. You see, the devil doesn't care which way he tricks you. He will trick you with religion. He goes to church. Okay? He is there uh, always. Uh, He doesn't care which way he gets you overbalanced. He just wants you off of the clear water, right? The true Word of God, because the true Word of God teaches us very clearly that we are to come into the image of Jesus Christ, not some man's image of Jesus Christ, but the Word image of Jesus Christ. And we've been called to walk in His steps, not to copy any men or any religion which looks so contrary to the Scriptures. We must get to the clear waters. It's safety in the clear waters, just as this revelation expresses. There is safety in the clear waters. There is no safety in the murky waters. And let me say that the Word of God, um, you know, I've studied it for well over 50 years, and I can tell you it does not deny itself. It fits together beautifully. But you have to first make up your mind that you're not going to make up your mind until you've looked at the whole situation. That's what people do. And then they have to defend this stance. And uh, then they go to the Bible schools and get it really ground into them and uh, feel the, these preachers, now preachers, even though you can't make preachers out of Bible school people, they have to be overcomers according to Jesus so even though these uh these uh preachers are all uh, I paid a lot of money to get this certificate uh they're dangerous because they're murky waters and the clear water is the only thing that gives us the truth and the truth will set you free you know setting being set free is a picture of Jesus. He was free. Actually, Jesus did everything he wanted to do, right? Because he wanted to do the will of God. He was free. To walk with Jesus, you have to be free. How can two walk together except they be agreed? So you have to be free. And the true doctrine of the Scriptures, the true water of the Word, will set you free. And he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You'll be free from these denominational, uh, these cults, which, of course, call, call all the lesser groups cults, right? That's what they do to scare people away from them and so on and so forth. But just think about Jesus, a small group out there among all the Israelites, you know, and go back through history and look at the very small groups around the prophets and the very large groups that wanted to kill them. And you'll understand that it's not in numbers. They never are in numbers. Gideon's army was not in numbers. They were small. They looked weak according to the world, but they were powerful because they were God's people. They were the true body of Christ. Now, I know that the larger body of the church, they call the body of Christ, but the real true body of Christ is the body in which Christ lives. That makes sense, right? And uh, Christ doesn't live in a lot of these people. Even though they may have their toe in the door, they uh, may not be heading towards the 30, 60, and 100-fold fruit and the freedom that God gives through the true gospel. The gospel is the power of God to save the one that believes it The good news is something the church doesn't believe. The good news is that we don't have sin problem anymore. We don't have a sickness problem anymore. We don't have a demon problem anymore. Jesus took care of it. And when we're convinced of that and we speak it out of our mouths, we're going to destroy the murky waters. And at least for us. We can recognize the murky waters when we're familiar with the true waters. Kind of like those that are really familiar with the true bills know all false bills. But you can't study false bills enough to know every false bill. You have to study the true bill to recognize every false bill. Right? And so here we are. We're called to study the truth of God's Word. And, um, to be um, putting it into our hearts that it transform us. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed into what? Into Jesus, who is the one that's going to heaven. No one that ascended into heaven, but he that descended out of heaven. That's Jesus. That's who's going to heaven. So 30, 60, and 100-fold of the spiritual man is going to heaven. But the carnal man is not going to set foot in the kingdom of heaven. And so we must come out. Uh, The outer man must be decayed day by day while the inner man is being renewed day by day, which is taking in the word. You know, they ate the manna in the wilderness, enough for a day's serving every day. If they saved it up for uh, a day in the future, they lost it. It bred worms. It's gone. Have you ever had good thoughts come into your mind, Uh, maybe even in the night, or maybe when you're reading the Word, uh, revelations that, oh, I want to look into that, you know, a couple days later, you've forgotten all about it, right? It's God leading you, guiding you to continue to look at the Word. Don't pay attention. Don't get distracted by the religions of this world. Jesus wasn't distracted by any of the religions of Judaism. He was not distracted by them. He knew through them completely. And he called his people out of those denominations of Judaism. He called them out to come and follow him alone. And that was their small group right there. And they were first called the bride then when John the Baptist called uh, Jesus the groom. And um, this small group, initially following him as the bride, those disciples as the bride. And they came out. They were the true church. The, the larger body was not the true church. The church means called out ones. What are we called out of? That larger body. We're called out of the denominations of Christianity just as they were called out of the denominations of Judaism. We are called out from among them to be separate, and to follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. So think about those disciples. They followed Jesus everywhere. They weren't distracted with church. They followed Jesus everywhere. Now, does Jesus have a church? Of course. They are the called out ones. And when you are familiar with Scripture, then you can go look at them. And decide who it is that is a a replicate of what you see in the scriptures. So it's very necessary to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed into Jesus on the earth. That's it. He, He has a body of Christ on the earth. A corporate body of Christ on the earth. That does his works. And they have his doctrines. So, Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you impress us all that we are here to do the works of Jesus because his doctrines uh, are in our hearts, not the murky water trash doctrines of the religions, but the truth of God's word. Father, bless us and draw us unto yourself and give us the power and the anointing to be where you are. You said, how can two walk together except they be agreed? And we agree with you, Lord. We want to agree with you in everything so that we can hear your voice and we can see those things that our Father wants to show unto us. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. Thank you for opening our eyes to see. Jesus said he always did those things that he heard and saw of his Father, right? And that's where we are now. We want to be sure that we only see and hear the Father. We must have uh, our minds reprogrammed by the word of the Lord only, the clear water only. Otherwise, you will be distracted and you will not be able to arrive at the place where Jesus is. Thank you so much, Father, for what you're doing for us today. Thank you for granting us repentance from all things that are contrary to your will. Thank you, Lord, that you help us, especially in the New Testament, to uh, not add to or take away from the words of the book, because there's a curse in that, and yet that's what they teach in the seminaries, is to ignore these words over here, that's what these people believe, and just accept the words that we believe, okay? Well, that's a partial word of God, it's murky. And uh, But we have to put it all together. If they can't put it together, they don't have the truth. If you put it together, it gives you the truth. And the truth shall set you free, Jesus said. Amen. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. Thank you for blessing us mightily. Thank you for delivering us from evil. Thank you for the great move of God you are doing. Oh, by the way, we have a great move of God going on in the Middle East and in Africa. And we appreciate everybody who has sacrificed to help these missionaries. Uh, we also just uh, uh, took over a, an orphanage, a very large orphanage um, that um, basically the people who were supporting it quit doing it. And it was of God so that we could educate these people correctly, these children correctly. It's a children's orphanage. And so anybody that wants to help, you are welcome. God bless you. And, uh, well, that's all for today. The Lord bless you and keep you. And thank you so much for joining us today. Amen.
0: For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. I can quench my thirsting soul, pure as water made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe, oh your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus. I trust in you.